Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning, listeners. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host today, Judy Como. I'm so excited to be here and talk about an upcoming book. I wouldn't even say it's upcoming because I already have read it. So uh, today my guest is Trent Horn, and this is a pre-recorded interview, but I'm still so excited. I haven't been this excited about reading a book since Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic. It really has been a... Whoa, that's... Pretty pretty good credit there, well, Judy. I don't really read a whole lot, and I was kind of forced into this so I could know more about it to do this interview. And uh, I've ordered 20 of the books, and hopefully I'm going to be handing them out, not to an irritating— 20, 20 books? That must be really expensive, oh, right, to get no, 20 no. books? Well, that'd be worth it, but they have a deal for— um, Three bucks for three bucks a piece if you order three 20. bucks for a book. Three bucks for a book. Wow! And uh, That's the, a good deal. the name of this book is Why We're Catholic, and uh, why I resonated with me. Trent Horn, the author, you said. Trent Horn is the author. Catholic Answers. Catholic Answers Life. We're making a really good team this morning. Who's the straight guy? That would be you. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And you are. Thaddeus, our station manager. Good morning. Good morning. Just, Good morning, Bryan College Station. Yes. Good morning, Waco in Central Texas. Good morning, Good morning Palestine. <laughs> we're all we're with all of y'all this morning. I haven't uh, had a pre-recorded interview in a while, so right. To this know that is we're, not pre-recorded. No, no, this we're is definitely live, live as live can be. Yeah, but the interview after the after the break will be pre-recorded. Right. So as we have this uh, kind of have to work within the guides. Of a, f- a few minutes, usually we have a little bit of flexibility to go not here, there, and so everywhere. Much tonight, but uh, this not today, not today. So um, we do have a couple of things to talk about this morning. Um, yeah, what do you want to talk about today? Well, Judy? Uh, you know, I always have to tell a story to tell a story, and uh, a story I do have to we tell. We have so much time. Remember <laughs> this morning. Let's not forget about but, that. Uh, <clears throat> last week I had to go to Sam's. I'm having a big event at my home, and I've got a big one of the big carts with the. Lots of. I thought they only had big carts at Sam's. Well, the the low cart, not the oh. basket cart. So I got that all, and a nice young man offered to help me, and I accepted. And we're you know I always park way away from anything. Now I have a new truck, so I don't want anybody oh. dinging my door. So right. I always park way far away. And we're walking and talking about what you know. You got a lot of meat. You're gonna have a barbecue. Blah blah blah. He's helping me unload the cart, and so he turns to me and says, "So you're Catholic, huh?" And I'm like, wow, don't have my love being Catholic shirt on. And he notices my bumper sticker. Oh, your bumper sticker, you say? You mean your KEDC 88.5 bumper sticker? That would be it. And uh, this is certainly not the first time that a conversation about my faith comes up simply because I, and I took it off my old truck and 
barely had time to put it on there, but I did because it's important to me. And uh, so he tells me, uh, obviously, you're Catholic, too. So he's from St. Mary's in Bremond. Okay. And I said, so you can hear the radio. And he said, well, it's getting better. Mm. It's getting better. And But I do live here for now, but I'm moving to Austin. Why are you moving to Austin? He goes, well, I'm going to go to school there. And I was like, uh. He goes, well, I'm I'm joining the seminary. Wow. And uh, his name is Ryan. So I assured him that I would pray for him. Good morning, and, Ryan, if you're listening. And that would be awesome. And in uh, stepping out in my faith, I was, well, Ryan, would you be comfortable if we prayed together? And so there in the parking lot of Sam's, we held hands and prayed for each other, told him that uh, my husband and I are walking the diaconate path right okay. now and okay. that— uh, Asked him about his call, came about in about the eighth grade, and we had a nice conversation. Uh, so, And Ryan's not in the ninth grade, is he? I mean, he's no, old, no, no. He's he old. just graduated, okay. and okay. he's uh, moving, and he's been in communication with Father Jonathan Rea and wow. our vocations director here for the Austin Diocese. And so I um, just want to ask our listeners to keep Ryan and all those called to uh, vo- different vocations we all have a vocation but uh, especially, especially to the religious life the priesthood yeah. is what you have in mind this morning right, exactly especially. Yeah. so so uh, um so the purpose of telling that story is for us to talk a little bit about our upcoming benefit here our here benefit for, you say yes well we have a member of the religious life coming to speak at our benefit yes, we as a matter do. of fact it's it is so exciting deacon Harold Burke Sivers, the dynamic deacon. Yes, <clears throat> he spoke at DCYC. I don't know Did if it was really? last year or the year before that. Wow. They all kind of blend together. The, give the rest, <laughs> listeners your impression of him oh, at DCYC. Oh, uh, well, if you can, it's a big stage to walk into with 3,000 teens from all over the uh, diocese and be able to captivate that mm-hmm. audience. Um, but he is a firecracker, and he is going to be fired up about our Blessed Mother and Right. That's the theme of our um, right. Benefit. The theme of our benefit is Mary, Mother of the Domestic Church. We're giving the benefit dinner over to her honor because it's the year of Fatima. Yes, it's October nineteenth, which will be six days after the last, the centenary of the last apparition at Fatima. So we just thought it was so appropriate to honor our Blessed Mother with dedicating the, the benefit to her and putting it under her care and making intercession to her for the continued growth of the radio station. And Deacon Harold's going to be kind of drawing together Mary, the rosary, and the life of the family. And, and, and I think he's going to do a just a wonderful job. And as all benefits, the ultimate goal is for us to help uh, raise money yes. for the continuing uh, growth of our right. uh, station stations. Right, and we've had a lot of growth yes, in the last the last year, uh, two years, and we just need to we want to fill those coffers to to the brim so that we can be in a good, stable, secure place to continue to support these three stations continue to um, support the operations here uh, of your beloved KEDC 88.5 and Bryan College Station. And it has been a wonder because of its stability and strength over the last, what, seven years, 10 years as it's grown, it's become a launching pad, uh, a foundation for 
the creation of the station in Waco, the the partnership with the station in Palestine. So that's why those other stations are are online is because of the awesome support that the community here in Bryan College Station, the Brazos Valley, has given. And we're just asking people to drag their friends and family out to the benefit. That's the most important uh, thing about evangelization number one is uh, telling our story. But uh, to help us here at the radio with the growth, with promoting the benefit, with encouraging others to uh, help in the growth. We're all a part of it. The body of Christ comes together. It's the most um, exciting evening, a lot of work to get it there. And then you step into uh, St. Thomas Aquinas is where it's going to be held. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So gracious to uh, let us have the benefit there. And uh, just to kind of be one heart, one mind, all in the same same room, um, hoping to help build the kingdom by that. And as I said, just from the simple magnet on the back of a truck, a conversation can be had about our Catholic faith and, and how important that is. Um, and just, some really, really important strengthening of the bonds between two Catholics and some very important prayer that took place because of the existence of a bumper <laughs> sticker on the back of your... Your new truck. Yeah, it was awesome. And there wouldn't be a bumper stick. There, there wouldn't be that bumper sticker on the back of your truck. I mean, you're not one of those people that just plasters bumper stickers all over it's your, the only your vehicle. One I have. So, I do have a had a Catholic Aggie Catholic, but haven't replaced but, that one. But that's one the yet, only but, uh, bumper sticker on your particular vehicle. Absolutely. So if the radio station wasn't here, that that conversation wouldn't have happened. Right. It seems like a little thing, happened. but it's not. Yeah. It's not. Everything is uh, important. Another neat little story that happened last week. Um, one of our great, one of our great volunteers, Donna Cody, she she texted in to Dennis and I about uh, her volunteer hours, and it, it was kind of a logistical back and forth for a little bit. But she asked about um, what's I know the benefits, you know, coming up. It's that time of year. It'd be wonderful if we had a Marian theme um, for <laughs> the benefit because it's the year of Fatima, and it was you know neat to see that and think. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing, isn't right, it? Right, right. Interesting and that you say that plus, because that's uh, exactly what we're doing. So that was sort of a little um, neat indicator that we're we're on the right path. For oh, the, I agree. For Much like the prayer that Adam uh, yes. brought us uh, for our meeting last Wednesday. Uh, at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, Saint Anthony's Parish is um, consecrating not only ourselves but our parish to the Blessed Mother through the retreat 33 days mm-hmm. to morning glory uh group retreat which is the first time that i've done it in a group uh, okay. atmosphere and that has a retreat companion and every week uh a different Marian prayer is presented for you to pray every day and uh, when i turned the page to start the second week it was the same prayer that adam had brought which i cannot tell you the name of the prayer it's it's the most ancient Marian prayer the subtum presidium Yes, I wouldn't. I wouldn't contradict you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was a but it neat, is a beautiful uh, affirmation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, and wonderful segue to another exciting yes thing that's going on um, at Saint Anthony's. Saint your Anthony's home parish. here in Brian, which is my home parish, uh, announced this last week that we are going to house a first class relic of Saint Anthony. It's a very exciting uh, process that you don't even really think about 
like most things, you don't think about how did that happen. Um, but in February, uh, we had two relics that right. uh, Father Mario brought over from Italy. And uh, it was such an exciting evening of people coming uh, from as far as Houston and Austin and San Antonio to come in. Uh, so neat. Uh, this lady was all over our church taking pictures of every inch of it. And so I introduced myself and she's like, oh, we're St. Anthony junkies. Anywhere there's a St. Anthony anything, we go there. Uh, St. Anthony's Parish here in Bryan is the only parish whose patron saint is St. Anthony. And after the relic was here in February, our, um, our pastor, Father Joseph Verica Mackle, uh, felt it on his heart to investigate what it would take to have a first-class relic here at our parish. And since then, these past few months, he's done the work. He petitioned, asked, you have to ask the bishop's permission, of course, and he approved and has been working on it. So last week, um, he called together the pastoral council and announced that we are going to receive this first-class relic. And uh, tomorrow night, all the parishioners of St. Anthony's are invited to come to a kind of an open forum to inform everyone and discuss the placement of the reliquary. And um, like our church will be a pilgrim site so that our wow. main sanctuary will be open from eight to five, and people can come and view and uh, honor. Just think, there's the there's there's always the possibility you have a first class relic, and you're a you're a pilgrim site, and that could be a source of miracles for people. Always, that could be there could be people coming to St. Anthony's from from everywhere. It's quite an you, honor. You don't know what you don't know what God is no, going to do with, with this. <laughs> it's very overwhelming in some ways it certainly and it's is. such an it's such a it says so much about father joseph too what a what a sense of respect and care for the kind of heart of the parish that you know he would he would reach out and step out and do this and go through all the the, the necessaries to make this happen for for his parishioners who who care very deeply for to honor Anthony. our patron saint yeah. um yes and it's quite an ordeal. I mean, it's not like they can, I can just, only imagine. they can't just mail it here. Yes, <laughs> it's actually yes. against the law to mail uh, that. So um, someone either has to go and get it, which I did volunteer to do, but very big of he, you, already has, very big of you. <laughs> he already has another plan. Father Mario, um, and I don't have his title or the order that he is, but they're kind of quotation marks in the air. Keeper of all things, St. Anthony had already had a trip planned here in October to be in Boston, I think. So he's going to bring the relic, and then oh, I think I think the date is October the 18th or 19th. More information to come, folks. Uh, so he'll bring the relic here, and we're going to have a, a big celebration. The bishop will be here to have Mass and place the relic in its new place once we decide where that is so you know wow that's just that's just tremendous i'm so happy to hear that about it is st anthony's and that's a that's a wonderful um addition to bryan college station to our catholic community here in bryan college station and and another opportunity to truly be universal Mm -hmm. in our Mm -hmm. catholicity to come together and um i'm sure that the turnout that you talked about for the visit of the relics at the beginning of this year. I'm oh, sure that goodness. helped to 
further the cause of bringing the fir- housing of first-class relic here permanently. Uh, it, you know, they saw the devotion of the people here. It was, I mean, a line outside of the church waiting wow. just to come in and, and uh, venerate these relics. It was really beautiful. That's that's beautiful. tremendous, so, tremendous. Um, so we'll have more information about that as things proceed. So um, speaking of saints, great saints, you also mentioned that today I I is the to feast day of St. James. St. James. Um, my new, my newest nephew, his name day today. Really? Yeah, so God bless my nephew, James. Um, I think if you attend daily Mass, for me, sometimes it kind of catches me off guard when you're in the green season of ordinary time and uh, you walk in and the vestments are red, so we know that it's a feast day, a martyred feast day. And today is... Uh, the feast day of St. James, and just a little hint, you know, those calendars that would get handed out at uh, Mass on uh, New Year's wealth of knowledge in a Catholic calendar. And we have a visitor (laughs) into the uh, studio this morning. He is checking out his daddy. Say something into the, can you say something into the <laughs> microphone, Andrew? Do you have anything to say? Hey, buddy. Good morning. Good morning. No, this is my <laughs> this is my youngest son. Andrew's in the in the studio with me this morning. He's going to turn one at the end of this month. Well, he is adorable. Yeah, Listeners you can't put that in me. your mouth. No, you, you can't sure put that can. in your mouth. <laughs> so, Don't even a little, try. Uh, information about Saint James. Uh, and this I'm reading from the. Book of Christian Prayers, uh, this morning, uh, the Liturgy of the Hours, morning prayer. Uh, St. James, the son of Zebedee and brother of St. John, the apostle, was born in Bethsaida. He was presented at, he was present at most of the miracles performed by Christ and was put to death by Herod around the year 42. He is especially honored in Compostela in Spain where a famous church is dedicated to his name. Have you ever seen the movie The Way? No, but I've heard about it. Oh, my goodness. Well, I always hesitate to say this is such a great movie and then find out there's something heretical in there. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was particularly moved to see this movie. And uh, so disclaimer, if there's anything non-Catholic about it, but this church, uh, St. James, that's where you end up when you right. walk this way. And it has um, an incensor. I'm sure there's a, I don't know if that's the name for it or not, but it's giant, like a pendulum mm-hmm. that swings throughout the church. I, oh, my. I, I, can, I can barely describe it. But if you just Google it, it comes up and you can see lots of videos for it. So um, today we ask the intercession of St. James. And as we get ready to go to break. Mm-hmm. The timing is okay for that. We're doing good. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we're doing we're doing fine, Judy. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, pray the prayer that ended morning prayer for us this morning. Okay. So, I ask you to pray in the name of the Father, Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty Father, by the martyrdom of Saint James, you bless the work of the early church. May his profession of faith give us courage, and his prayers bring us strength. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. 
Check out our pre-recorded interview with Trent Horn on the other side. Why we're Catholic. Howdy, listeners of Central Texas. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I am so excited to introduce to you, is probably a name that's familiar to most of you, but uh, my guest today is Trent Horn. He is a staff apologist for Catholic Answers. Uh, he specializes in teaching Catholics to graciously and persuasively engage those who disagree with them. Uh, we are going to discuss his wonderful book, Why We're Catholic Today. Good morning, Trent. How are you? Good morning. I'm uh, doing well. Oh, great. Well, I uh, <laughs> this is going to be one tattered book when I get through with it. I think I'm just going to have to have it with me at all times. I uh, also want to welcome Thaddeus uh, to say hello to you. Good morning, Trent. Thanks for being with us. Really appreciate it, as always. Yeah. Uh, so glad to be here. Good. Uh, well, I'm... It's all about me, as usually any of my friends would tell you that, but uh, I'm so uh, blessed to be the one to interview here this morning because it put this book in my hand, and it is just, uh, tell us in your own words about writing the book and the who, what's, when's, and where's, and why's of it, and then we'll dive right into the meat of it, but it's just uh, something that I'm going to be able to have with me at all times. Whatever the conversation, uh, all things Catholic, there's something in this book that can help anybody have a good conversation about why we're Catholic. Sure. Well, I was motivated to write this book because for many years when I've gone out to speak at conferences or at parishes, people have said to me, do you have a book that you that I can give to my son who's an atheist who?" You know, he, he was Catholic, but he doesn't go to church anymore, or to my husband or coworker who's, who's interested in the Catholic faith. Do you have a book that I could give them? And I realized there really wasn't one single book that explained, here's what Catholics believe, here's why they believe it, why we believe it's true, uh, that was written in a way that was inviting and gracious for people who aren't Catholic. You know, there have been books written for Catholics primarily saying, well, here's why we're Catholic, and here's why it's great, but sometimes they can be a little triumphalistic in their tone or even condescending in cases. And uh, even if they're uh, written for Catholics, if you give it to a non-Catholic, they can feel a little out of place reading it. So I wrote Why We're Catholic as a book you could give to anyone. The tone, it's written for anybody to read and appreciate our faith and why we believe what we believe. But Catholics can also read it and learn these reasons for themselves and articulate them for others. So the goal is to write something simple, easy to read, that covered all the basics of why Catholics believe what they do. Well, I couldn't agree more um, in, and could always 
uh, utilize that phrase of uh, gentleness and uh, answering and discussing things without those attitudes of as condescending and things like that. Um, it is a book that's very easy to read. Um, uh, the chapter-by-chapter chapter, uh, flow of it is uh, just wonderful, and at the end of every chapter, you've given us a couple of bullet points, and we've got the nice gray squares of, you know, s sidebars, you might would call them. Um, so I've just uh, I've just been pouring through the book from one end to the other, and um, uh, I have a, a couple of things highlighted that we could uh, could start off uh, just in the very beginning, the intellectual, hunting um, uh, for the good word, just some explanations of God and existence and things like that. Sure. So when I wrote the book, as I said, it's a book you can give to anybody. So I wanted to start with the most basic aspects of our faith, like the existence of truth, that our faith is true and it's objectively true. It's not just a mere preference claim. You don't pick a religion like you pick an ice cream flavor to eat on Sunday. You pick a religion like you pick a medicine. You know, you pick the one that actually will work for you, mm -hmm. uh, the one that, that is correct, that will cure your ailment. And uh, I, we should approach religion that way. And I give reasons to believe the church's teachings are objectively true. And to start, the most basic one then, if I'm going to give this book to someone who's not Catholic, is to someone who doesn't even believe God exists at all, an atheist or an agnostic. So in the beginning, uh, after I talk about truth, I show reasons to believe that uh, the universe is not an accident, that it was created, and that this creator has the attributes of God, is all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, and that this creator is all good in the face of uh, evil and suffering, and that, that God will conquer evil and suffering, and that leads into the next section of the book, which talks about the revelation of God and Jesus Christ. Right. Um, <clears throat> the, one of the first things that I, I like to circle and highlight uh, things that kind of make me go, hmm, but uh, it's a conversation that I've had many times, um, you know, that uh, if God knows what we're going to do and we have free will to do it or not to do it, then it sometimes, then why bother? And I, I think you actually, um, your words were, but if God knows what I will do tomorrow, doesn't that mean I'm not free to do anything different? No, because God's knowledge of the future doesn't determine the future. And it just put into words that I was like, okay, now I have the words to keep saying over and over, and it helps me to understand it and maybe better explain it. Um, yes. So I well, what I would say to that to also add a little bit, uh, and I've heard this from people who you know have problems believing in God, saying, well, what about all these difficulties? And this is a classic one. Philosophers have actually discussed it for centuries. If God knows the future, how can I be free? Because the future can't change if God knows it. But we can't think of God as a person in time, like you or I, looking forward to the future. God exists outside of time. And so if God is outside of time, he sees every moment of time as an eternal now. So he sees the future now, just as if I were in the studio with you, I would be seeing you now. So if I look at you here in the present and you're sitting in a chair, that doesn't prevent you from standing up. Much Trent, she actually is. God. She actually is sitting in a chair, Trent. That's amazing. 
<laughs> not to interrupt your flow, but that's incredible. Oh, sure. Uh, that that would be the uh, – that's not a divine attribute, but that would be uh, clairvoyance or another – remote viewing is a, a term. If I could see you without being physically present there. So – but if God looks in the future and sees you in the future to his eternal present sitting in a chair, you can stand up as well. So if the future is different, if you choose to do, if I say I'm going to wear a red shirt tomorrow, but I change my mind and wear a blue shirt, it doesn't mean I've thwarted God. It just means that his eternal knowledge is different to reflect what I freely choose to do. And so when you understand God at a deeper level, you see that there aren't contradictions, and rather there are contradictions in trying to assert that it, there can be a created world without a creator. Exactly. And <clears throat> that section of the book flows right into the chapter about uh, evil and God conquering evil. And uh, it's a conversation that just is, goes across the board for uh, believers and non-believers, Christians and Catholics and Christians that are Catholic and um, how to try to understand evil, try to understand difficulties, losses, things like that, and how God can conquer that. Absolutely. And I think it's important to remember that uh, when we talk about the problem of evil and suffering, there are really two kinds of problems. One would be the philosophical problem when we just think about the issue. How can, there, how can a good God exist when there's so much evil and suffering in the world? And then there's the personal problem. There are those who are in the midst of suffering who are trying to grapple with meaning and purpose and just trying to make it through these difficult times. And so what I put forward in the book tries to address, address both of those uh, questions. So the philosophical problem, the answer is somewhat simple, that God can allow evil to exist because evil is not a thing he created. It's an absence of good. And God can allow a temporary absence of good if he can bring even more good or a greater good in the future. So God lets us have free will, and that, that causes evils like you know hatred and murder and things like that, but it also brings about greater goods, such as love and sacrifice and courage, uh, including love that will uh, continue on into eternity as God's children spend eternity with him in heaven. Uh, but for someone who's suffering in the here and now, it's hard to really grasp and accept that because you're just hurting so much. So that's why we have to just be there to comfort those who are suffering. And sometimes what I try to do is to say, well, look, at the end of the day, whatever you're suffering about, if God does not exist, suffering is meaningless and pointless and doesn't make sense. If we're grieving, for example, the loss of a child or a friend or a parent, uh, we have to think, well, the fact that we cared so deeply about them all, the fact that we understand they have intrinsic value and that they meant so much more so than, you know, how animals care for one another shows that humans must exist as a special act of creation, that God made them in his image. And so the pain that we feel in the sense that evil should not exist actually serves as indirect evidence that there is a God who created the world to be a certain way. Yeah, I am in that situation. Um presently and it even though I hear what you're saying and it makes perfect sense it's it's still a, a very difficult thing to try to find those words of that could be consoling to someone in the depths of grief um oh sure absolutely absolutely and I think what's interesting here to compare uh C.S. Lewis wrote two books 
about the problem of evil. And they're very interesting to read back to back. One was an academic treatment of the problem called The Problem of Pain. Uh, but the other was a book that Lewis wrote after the death of his wife called A Grief Observed. And what's interesting is you see the raw, the raw hurt of the problem uh, in Grief Observed that you don't find in A Problem of Pain. He even accuses God of being, you know, a, a monkey-minded meddler. We're all just rats in a maze that, you know, we, we let this pain fall on top of us. And it can be immense and crushing. And at some point, you, you really can't rely on an argument to get you through it. You have to just turn your life and your heart over to Christ and say, I need your grace to sustain me and to know through God's grace we can bear any of these burdens and know that God will, no matter what suffering we endure here, uh, there is an immense weight of glory that awaits us uh, in our, our eternal existence with him in the next life. So it's something where... We can't, you know, we won't be able to get rid of our grief and suffering with a philosophical explanation, but God has given us ways to endure the suffering in this life. And one of those ways to endure is to understand life would really be meaningless and hopeless uh, if God did not exist. So the problem of evil is not answered by just simply saying there is no God. That's, that simply compounds the problem and makes life uh, rather hellish. Right. I, I agree. I'm in the process of some, uh, my father passed away three months ago, and uh, intellectually, I'm really good with the God part of it, you know, the, he's not suffering, all all the things that could be, are consoling to me, it's the here and the now, and the sure. existing, and with the people around me, and yeah. it's screaming bloody murder, you know, well, he's not here anymore, fill in the blank whatever yeah. that may be, whoever, yeah. whoever and whatever it is. Uh, but without, um, as you said, without a grace to offer for redemptive suffering, to understand uh, it's bad enough that he's gone, it's bad enough that I'm hurting, it would be just such a shame to waste it without offering, and not the flippant, oh, offer it up, that a parent might would say to their griping teenager, yeah. Um, but really embracing that, uh, uniting our suffering with Jesus on the cross. Um, it makes me very sad for people, not that I'm some evolved Catholic, but I'm grateful to be where I'm at and in that, the midst of that suffering. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, um, the next kind of little, I don't dog ear, I put bookmarks cause I, <laughs> But the next uh, bookmark that I uh, really uh, appreciated was the chapter on the Trinity. And uh, mm -hmm. really, it <clears throat> it's not a subject that comes up in uh, someone that I may be talking about of a different religion, but as a youth minister and the opportunity to attempt to explain or teach the uh, Trinity, there's some really great nuggets in this chapter. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the affirmation. And as the book transitions from just God that exists to which God are we talking about, we inevitably confront the mystery of the Trinity, that God is love, and this love has existed for eternity as a relation between persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what I try to do in this chapter is show that the Trinity, while it's a mystery we can't fully comprehend, uh, it is something we can understand at a basic level, 
And at that basic level, we can understand there is one God. God is being itself or existence itself, and God is three persons. Many people don't understand the Trinity because they think the terms being and person are synonymous. So if there's one God being and three persons, people say, well, how can one be three? But person and being are not synonymous. Being refers to something that exists. It's a that it exists. And a person refers to a who, something capable of relations. So there are beings that are zero persons, like rocks or trees or fish. There are beings that are one person, like human beings or angels. So if there could be beings that are zero persons and beings that are one person, there could be a being or more precisely being itself that is three persons that has existed for all eternity that are fully indwelled with one another, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the chapter breaks this down so that people can understand that God is not simply out there. God is is love and goodness itself revealed in this eternal loving relation of three persons, uh, all united together with one divine nature in the one being of God. Agreed. Um, I I have had a teen, uh, which I thought it was a brilliant question that I had never thought of. And if Jesus is God and God is omnipotent, then how could he die? And um, so the combining of his divinity and his humanity was a little bit difficult for me to elaborate on that with the teen. Oh, sure. That's the, and that would be, we have the mystery of the Trinity. And further compounding that mystery is that one member of the Trinity, the Son, became man. And that would be the mystery of the incarnation. And to understand this mystery, uh, we have to understand that Jesus is a divine person. So the Son is one person, a divine person with a divine nature. But in becoming human, the Son assumes an additional nature, a human nature. But that divine person does not change through any of this process. So we have one person with two full natures, fully divine and fully human. And so through its human nature, the son is able to still express his divinity. Now, the question is, well, if Jesus is God, how can he die? It's true that the son could not go out of existence. So see, a lot of people, when they hear the word die, they think it means to stop existing. And that's not the precise meaning of death. Uh, so God, you're right, God couldn't exist yeah. and just pop out of existence. That, that, that doesn't work. But death refers to the separation of the soul from the body. So as human persons, you or I, we are incomplete without our bodies and souls united. We are a composite of body and soul. So when you die, your soul leaves your body, your body decomposes. You can say the human person at that point does not exist. Their soul exists and will be reunited to their body. So they go out of existence in a sense. But because Jesus is fully God, uh, he has a fully human soul, but he's also fully divine. He's capable of raising himself up again. So the son, his body and soul were separated at death, but he didn't stop existing. He still existed and reunited them in the miracle of the resurrection. And that gives promise for us for the the future miracle, the resurrection of our own bodies. Oh, great. I mean, uh, this is just uh, very valuable for me. Uh, I want to uh, remind our listeners that I am speaking with Trent Horn today about his book, Why We Are Catholic. And in my rush to start this interview, I didn't even ask you about ways that we can 
find the book and uh, any of that information. So uh, could you tell our listeners how to um, find this wonderful book? Sure. Uh, the, the best place to get it would be at our website, shop.catholic.com. The book can be purchased as an ebook or as a paperback version at shop.catholic.com. Uh, you can also, at, the, at our website, you can purchase it in bulk. And the other reason I, I wanted, so I wanted this book to be given away to as many people as possible. That's why we offer it in a bulk version. So you can get 20 copies of the book for $60 or about $3 a copy. And I know people who have bought several cases just to have at their parish or to keep at their home to give away to people who come and visit. Uh, so, yeah, I'd recommend our website, shop.catholic.com. Uh, or a Catholic bookstore or an online book retailer. Great. Uh, Thaddeus, you had something to add? Oh, yeah. It occurred to me over the course of the last couple of questions, Trent, that you've mentioned the mystery of the Trinity, mentioned the mystery of the Incarnation. Um, and is part of the problem of belief these days, do you think, um, the way the way modern man thinks this, um, I guess, scientism that might maybe has crept into our thinking of wanting um, conclusive proof for things, whereas mysteries, such as we've mentioned, they require kind of a, a chewing on over time, and you, you, you ponder it, and you get to a point of, okay, I'll, I've got enough here to, to assent to what is being given to me, but I don't, I can't fully understand it in the way that I can understand a the the action of a physical law in in nature um i i think that's tied up in in some of this problem of belief don't you think can you allow, you know give me your response or thoughts on that uh, yes uh, i'm actually working on another book project right now and i'm i'm writing about that very issue because richard dawkins i think it's in a devil's chaplain criticizes religious people for quote-unquote, punting to mystery, saying, well, it's a mystery, so I don't have to think very much right. about this. But there's two problems with that. First, when we say something's a mystery, we don't mean it's unknowable or unreasonable. We just mean that we can't fully understand something. Uh, we can't also know it from reason alone because it comes from divine revelation. So we could know by reason alone there is a God, but if God never revealed himself to man, we wouldn't know God is a trinity of three persons. Right. Uh, so that's what we mean by mystery. We can understand it with reason, but uh, we would never understand it if God had not revealed it to us. And we will never fully understand it in this life because of its infinite magnitude. Uh, but that is okay. In fact, in the book, in Why We're Catholic, I talk about how uh, using science alone to understand the world is inconsistent, that scientism the belief that truth only comes from science is self-defeating because there's no scientific experiment that proves everything we know comes from science. The other point I'd make on that to someone like Richard Dawkins is that science has its own similar mysteries. There are things we understand, but we reach a limit with our own understanding, and we, we have to resign ourselves. We don't fully understand it. This could take, for example, with black holes. You know, what happens at the event horizon of a black hole? We have a basic idea but no one's ever been there. We probably will never be there to observe what happens, and so it's somewhat of a mystery. Or on a smaller level, at the quantum level, with particles like electrons, how they behave, we can understand that if you fire an electron through a double slit, its behavior, whether it's a particle or a wave, will change based on 
you're observing the particle. That's the famous double slit experiment, and it's quite baffling, actually, when you read about it. And it's a kind of a mystery as to what happens, why the electron behaves differently when it's observed at that quantum level. And so science itself has mysteries that we can't, that we may never be able to solve uh, ever, but that doesn't mean it's not a worthwhile endeavor. The same with faith. There are things that we will never fully understand in this life, uh, but we can understand them enough to build our theological framework around them and to have a faith and a worldview that leads us closer to the God who created us. Exactly, exactly. Um, I'd like to move on to uh, chapter 16. Uh, this is conversations that I've had uh, on occasion, and uh, the title of it is Why We Believe in Spite of Scandal. Mm-hmm. And um, as uh, Catholics, it's not uncommon for this subject to come up, and I just think that it is... Um, such a good chapter that gives us, um, helps us understand it ourselves and perhaps be better equipped to have that conversation. Yeah, I just want to echo Judy before you get started, Trent, that I think this is one of the most important chapters you wrote because I think too often we sort of forget about, oh, that's, you know, that's in the past. That was 15 years ago. We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to think about it. But for a lot of people that aren't part of our faith, that's still right front and center for them of yeah. why they, they're they reluctant. Right, and perhaps uh, this speaks uh, volumes about uh, the sex scandal, and that's what it's talking about. But in every parish and every day, the potential of something, any anything scandal, it, it could be talking about anything yeah. and uh, the opportunity that we— uh, So could, could you—let's uh, talk about this chapter for a little while. Sure. So in this chapter, in chapter 16, I talk about the issue of scandal and primarily the clergy abuse scandal of the late 20th century. Uh, But I do say that that this is a broader issue, that when Catholics sin, that causes scandal. And so there always has been scandal. There always will be scandal, uh, frankly. Uh, And I, I talk about other, you know, things in the past, such as the Crusades. I mean, it's, you know, been 800 years since the Crusades, and people still, you know, think the Catholic Church is evil because of, you know, certain actions that certain Catholics did. So you're right that we can't say, well, you know, that <laughs> that's in the past. Because for many people, it's still a stumbling block for them. In fact, the word scandal comes from the Greek word scandalon, which means that which you can trip or stumble over. So how do we respond to scandal? I take two approaches. One you know, well, three approaches. One, not whitewashing the scandal, not trying to cover up or minimize the harm a particular Catholic has done, even if there's someone like a bishop or a pope even. Two, uh, acknowledging a very important moral principle, that just because a person engages in evil, it doesn't follow that what the person believes is false or that you should give up on it. Uh, So I give the example that you know, imagine somebody who says, well, I was hurt by this doctor. This doctor abused me. And I, I actually do know people who were who were sexually abused by a, an infamous doctor. Imagine if those people said, you know, I'm never going to trust a doctor again. I'll never go to a hospital again. I'm done with all of that. And you say, well, I'm very sorry for the malpractice and the abuse you suffered. But that but still hospitals and doctors are your best way to get better. And if you just give up on that, you're going to be worse off. And the same is with the church, that the church has the cure for sin, 
And we can't fault the church just because some of its members may not take the cure or may not respond appropriately to, to what sin is. And then finally in the chapter, I, I discuss factual issues that once that groundwork is laid to show, for example, with the clergy abuse scandal, that this is not indicative that there's something wrong with the Catholic Church. It's indicative of something that's wrong with human beings in general, <laughs> because sexual abuse is something that is found at similar levels in other Protestant churches, in Jewish temples, uh, in football locker rooms, uh, possibly even at higher levels in public high in public schools. So this just shows that humanity is afflicted with sin. The church has the cure for it, and we shouldn't reject the church. Uh, because some of its members don't take this medicine. Or to put it even more bluntly, you don't leave Jesus because of what Judas did, essentially. <laughs> Great <laughs> analogy, nice. yeah. Um, nice and on a more everyday level, it, it's um, in a—I have teenagers, a teenager, and um, the their speak as of uh, late as well. I don't—I don't think that— this subject is correct. It's not the right way to live, but they have a right to do that. And what can I, it's, I'm not going to do it, but I think they have a right to do it. And to teach that the, the body of Christ, as you said, is hurt by anyone's sin. And, um, as a being a part of the body of Christ, yes, this is a much, uh, a terrible thing, uh, the scandal and the cover up and things like that. If it happens just one time to anyone, it's a terrible thing. But to um, be able to convince a teenager of their actions having an effect on the rest of the body of Christ, it's it's a difficult uh, concept because uh, amplified by the world screaming louder and louder and louder that it's okay. Right. It's important for them to see that our actions are not in a bubble, that we affect other people. We can lead people closer to Christ or away from them. Uh, simply in, in even choosing to be around scandalous or sinful behavior. And so that's why it's important that everything we do, uh, we should pursue holiness. And each of us is called to a vocation. There's a universal call to holiness for all of us. Exactly. And that's why it's important to pursue that. And one reason I wrote this book is that some people may find it difficult to follow that call. It's always difficult to be holy. And so they'll try to rationalize their behavior uh, and say, well, it's not really that bad. It's not that big a deal. Or the, the church is being unreasonable. And that's why I wrote the book. And especially the latter chapters also deal with moral issues like abortion or contraception to show, no, that what the church teaches is reasonable. Uh, and it's something that's good uh, for us to live by to become holy and virtuous people. Yes, exactly. And um, I remind our listeners that we are uh, talking with Trent Horn and his wonderful book, Why We're Catholic. And um, as I find that a very difficult chapter to talk about scandal and things like that, so I would like to counter with talking about the chapter on hope, hope for heaven, and uh, what we as Catholics believe and how we can better talk to um, other religions and other people about the hope for heaven. And it was very consoling to me to read this chapter, and um, I've had I mean, I've had people, well, you just think that only Catholics are going to heaven. No, I didn't say that. I, <laughs> I don't think it, so I wouldn't say it. But um, I just thought that this right. is a great chapter uh, for conversation. 
Yes, uh, and so that and that's really the the last chapter of the book, and a good one, of course, to leave off on to say why we're Catholic. This is the reason because this is the way to eternal life and our hope for spending eternity with God in heaven. And so it's important to show one that heaven is not just an infinite amount of earthly pleasures. So we, you know, it's not. Uh, there are images that are used to describe heaven, but they shouldn't be taken too literally. It's not like you're going to spend an eternity playing a harp or sitting on a cloud. <laughs> Uh, those are images to help us understand heaven, but heaven is really beyond what we understand now. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, St. Paul says, uh, now I see God and heavenly realities. I see as in a mirror dimly. Uh, and in the ancient world, they didn't, the glass mirrors were just starting to become popular. The most popular mirror that people used was polished bronze. So if you imagine looking at polished metal, you see yourself very faintly. And Paul said that's how we imagine heaven now. We see it faintly, but in the next life, uh, we will see it fully. And I show that, that so this is, an, you know, eternity or unending existence with God. And since God is infinite goodness, he is able to uh, give us infinite joy because he's unending and perfectly good. Now, now to the question, who will go to heaven? Uh, it is poss- I say in the book that it is possible for people who are not Catholic to go to heaven. But that doesn't mean that it's probable, uh, only that it's possible. And so we should still witness and evangelize to others. I give the example of crossing a frozen river. I love that in that uh, example. And it, it's something that I, it's so easy to remember. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm very sure. excited. Well, go ahead. and. Yes. So to say, well, imagine that you're on one side of the river. That's this life. Heaven is across the river. And you have to get a, you know, you have to get across this frozen lake. It's shrouded in fog. Uh, will you make it? Well, it's possible for someone to make it across the ice to the other side, but it's also quite possible, or in fact, maybe probable, that they will fall through the ice. So imagine you know this, but you know down the way there is a bridge, a bridge that one can safely cross over this river to the other side with confidence. Wouldn't you tell people about this bridge, even if you know there is a possibility they can make it on their own across the river? And so the analogy, the bridge is Jesus Christ, that Christ connects that and his church through the sacramental grace we receive in baptism and the Eucharist and confession, that that is what connects man to God and brings us to uh, eternity with him. So we should tell other people about this, even if there is a possibility that God is not cruel, he will not damn someone merely because they were born in a time and place where they never knew Jesus Christ. But on the same token, sin is abundant in the world, and it's, it's possible for, for any of us to succumb to it. And so that's why it's important to introduce people and draw them into a relationship with Christ and to receive grace to be an adopted son or daughter of God through the sacraments of the church, and why evangelizing is important. And that's why I wrote this book, so that people can receive the gospel and this good news, and that's why the book is just something you can easily hand to someone, hey, here's a book, read it, what did you think of it, and you can continue the the conversation with someone to lead them closer to the truth. Oh, yes, I agree. Um, loved everything about it, listeners. Uh, I don't read books that often, but I am telling you, do yourself a favor and get a copy of this book, and um I, uh, you move right into the uh, after that wonderful chapter on heaven uh, and talk about uh, how to become Catholic. You include prayers, um, how to go to confession. Uh, it's 
It's a wonderful thing. You know, when uh, someone says RCIA and it falls on the ears of someone who's been a part of it or knows about it, um, it's it's makes common sense. But I often think that even when you're promoting it in August, that RCIA is about, and you can say right of Christian, you don't always have a good time to explain what RCIA is and how wonderful that it, it can be to a parish. So um, there's just so many aspects of this book that is so wonderful. Uh, I'd like to give you a, a minute or so here to mention anything else uh, about the book that you'd like to talk about and remind our listeners again uh, how to how to get a hold of this book. Uh, sure. I, I'm really glad you mentioned RCIA. I'm someone who also went through the RCIA process to come into the church, and I wish that I had had a book like this during my period of inquiry of learning about the Catholic faith, that I think this book, because it can be bought in bulk, uh, it's a great gift to an RCIA ministry for because uh, you can get 20 copies for $60. That's usually enough for an RCIA class, and they can read a chapter a week uh, and discuss and, and learn more about what the Catholic faith teaches. So um, I'm very excited uh, about the prospect of this book getting in the hands of many people, especially those who are not Catholic. I wrote this book that Catholics can get a lot from it, but you can confidently give it to a non-Catholic and get a lot out of it, whether they're an atheist, a Protestant, whoever it may be. And so if you'd like to get a copy of the book, I'd recommend our website, shop.catholic.com. Uh, so you can pick up a copy there or buy it in bulk to give it away to others. And that website is shop.catholic.com. Awesome. I will be ordering my case. I tend to, our, our parish gives away books at Christmas and at uh, Easter and I'm usually the keeper of the book, so I always have several copies of them uh, to carry around with me to hand out. So uh, I thank you for your time. I knew it would fly by, and I wouldn't get to talk to so many things. Perhaps you can come back on our program, but uh, thank you for your time this morning. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Great, and I want to thank our listeners for being here with us. Um, and I would like to invite you to get this wonderful book, read it, let's meet somewhere for coffee, and discuss why we're Catholic. God bless. <laughs>